Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, the Bucs sign another one. Ryan Suckup, their place kicker, gets a three-year deal as the new league year begins. That's six free agents returning. Can the Bucs afford anyone else? And if so, who will be next? Shaquille Barrett talks to the media. We'll tell you what he had to say about returning to the Bucks. Austin Meadows goes deep again for the Rays in spring training. And Tyler Glass now is going to be the opening day starter. 500 points for Victor Hedman. What does that milestone mean? We'll discuss all of that and more in this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with producer Steve Versnick. You know, uh, Steve, the thing about uh, this free agency today was uh, at 4 p.m. began the new league year so it's a happy new year uh, for all of those in the NFL and it's it's when teams that have been tampering before the legal tampering period can announce deals with any free agent and so um, as you know the Bucks have been concentrating mostly on theirs um, but it, it you know th- it was sort of anticlimactic because these deals have been announced sort of you know prior to uh, prior to four o'clock on Wednesday but it, uh, it, it you know for the Bucks, I'm sitting here trying to think, you know, how how many more guys can they sign? Because um, it was it was late, I guess, Wednesday evening, early evening, uh, when the news came down that that Ryan Suckup had signed a, a three-year, twelve million dollar deal, and you figure that, you know, even though his cap value is is like two point five million or something like that, at some point, right? They they've got to say enough is enough, but they are just continuing to use voidable years and push money back to future years. And I really think at this point, I don't know what's going to happen with the Domicon Sioux. I've seen there were some uh, running backs or two that, that uh, went to teams on Wednesday. We're still waiting to see what's going to happen with Leonard Fournette or a James White or somebody like that. I think we're about two or three signings away. I think Blaine Gabbard will come back, um, you know, maybe, maybe a defensive tackler or so. But we're almost – they're almost through this, and they're going to go – as, as to this point, entirely with not just getting the band back together, but like getting the roadies back together, getting getting the the ushers back together. I mean, everybody that was in uh, in Raymond James Stadium apparently is going to start the season next year. So the Bucks are sticking strictly with their own guys so far. Well, look, I mean, the you know what you know about players is better than the unknown. I mean, free agency is always no a doubt. risk. Uh, it is. You generally have to overpay for free agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got guys that just won a, a, a Super Bowl and seem willing to stay here because they like the situation. They like what's going on. They like the team, their teammates. You still got Tom Brady here. And, mm-hmm. and you know, kudos to Jason Light and Mike Greenberg and the, the Bucks, you know, and Bruce Arians. And, and, and I've been critical of the way that they've operated the last few years. But the fact that they didn't, have dead money on the cap going forward that they hadn't used things like signing bonuses in that to, to sign players previously when they weren't going to go win at all. And they waited till now they've won one and they're still in their window and we're going to do whatever we can to win a second one. 
and they've put themselves in this position because they didn't resort to those tactics previously. They could have, but they held out and said, we're going to wait till, till we're ready to do it. And you got to give a lot of credit to, to Mike Greenberg, Jason Light, you know, the whole Bucks front office organization for the position they've, they've put themselves in that allows them to do this now. And they're going to have to pay the price at some point moving forward. But you hope that maybe you've got another Super Bowl win in that time or, you know, deep runs in the playoffs and the salary cap's gone up to where it doesn't hurt you as much and what you hope. I mean, it's the teams that this year when the cap goes down and you've got dead money that you're really hurting. Um, You know, I mean, look at what the, you know, we talked a little bit, but what the Patriots have done. I mean, part of what the Patriots pain last year was is they had so much dead money on their cap. That, you know, when Tom Brady left, they had to start paying that piper. And so last year, they didn't have a lot of money to spend. And they they cleared the table so that this year they could go out and they have a completely different team. Uh, but they had to suffer through a bad year. One, because they lost Tom Brady, which that's going to hurt you. But because they also had to finally pay up on the cap hits that Tom Brady was, was as he renegotiated his contract and gave them space. Now, now once he left, they had to pay up. So, um, But, you know, kudos to the Bucks for being in this position to where they they've won the super bowl they think they can get another one or two or you know whatever you, you know whatever they think and they're going for it and they're using all the tools necessary to them now or that's available to them and not just sitting back and waiting yeah i mean brady aside and that's true he did renegotiate his contract five different times to try to create cap space for him but i think one of the reasons um, why the Patriots are in the position they are now is be simply because they haven't drafted well. And a lot of their mm-hmm. guys didn't make it to second contracts. And so, you know, um, if you don't continue to up the salaries of guys you drafted, then then that's going to occur. You're going to have some cap room. But they definitely went out and, and they're going for it. Also, Belichick, I think, sensed that if you did have money and were willing to spend it, um, there's some real bargains out there. And I'm not saying some of the elite players they signed were, were necessarily um, – you know, good bargains, but uh, there's there's not a lot of money uh, in the system right now, and there's more players. It's musical chairs, and there's more players than there are big contracts. And for the teams willing to give out decent money, they're going to get those players. And plus, I mean, New England, you know, a, a down year aside, is still a pretty good brand. I think, you know, I don't know that signing Cam Newton attracted players to them or not. Usually, it's the money, but the the Patriots themselves have had a lot of success, and Belichick's reputation is good enough that. Guys like Hunter Henry and others would come there, but um, they're certainly going uh, heavy into free agency to try to to rebuild their team quickly. Um, the Bucks are trying to maintain what they have. You know, there, there's just no guarantee, and I mean that's football, right? Every year is different. You don't know who's going to get hurt, who's going to have a good year. Um, it is true that the players that they're re-signing uh, are not guys even in the middle of their careers. I mean, these these are mostly guys at the very end of their careers when you really think about it. I mean, even a guy like Shaq Barrett, who was extremely productive the last two years, he'll be 29 years old in August, um, I think, or November, November, not August, but uh, um, sometime next year. So, you know, uh, you hope you get two really good years out of him out of the four. Um, I think they can walk away after a couple years, but – um, you know, then you look at guys like Rob Gronkowski, you know, what does he have left in the tank? Um, you know, even their place kicker, Ryan Suckup is 34 years old. Uh, and, and so, you know, you just, you just don't know when you're going to hit that, that odometer reading that, that stops everything. And we won't even talk about the quarterback who defies age every day. So, um, there are, there is, there is, you know, getting the band back together. I think I said this the other night, but if, if that band, 
is the Rolling Stones and led by Mick Jagger, who you know who's hanging on. Uh, maybe you don't have too many concerts left, but they only need one more. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But you know, it was interesting. We were talking to uh, and and look, they they getting suck up is not a small thing. I said this in the beginning. It wasn't going to cost them a ton of money relative to you know guys like Shaq Barrett. Um, but but four million a year is no nothing to sneeze at. Um, you know, when you're 34 years old as a kicker, that's a pretty good deal. Um, but when you think about the, the just the, the sad history of kickers on this team, I was looking like over the last decade, um, they've had 11 or 12, almost a dozen guys uh, come here um, really since 2009, I'd say. And, you know, it, it it's a list that, that you don't want to have to read, you know, very often. Um, but, you know, Suckup really uh, stabilized that position in a year where they absolutely needed it. You know, they – they needed that steady uh, kicker who may not make the 50-yarders or the 55-yarders, but um, I think he missed two kicks out of 18, anywhere from 30 to 49 yards last year. He was like 16 of 18, which is what you want. Those are your those are your NFL money kicks, right? Um, you want those automatic points when you get inside of 50 yards, and that's that's what he was able to do. I mean, he was fantastic, and in the playoffs, he was 13 of 13 in field goal tries, which is spectacular, and then had a had a long one in the Super Bowl, as you remember. So um, good to get Ryan suck up back. He's he's a true pro. He came off that injury when he got uh, was on IR twice with Tennessee. They didn't sign him until September first of last year. He was here a week and he beat out Matt Gay. Uh, Matt Gay wound up kicking uh, at the end of the season for the Rams, but um, you know they they really did uh, you know stabilize that position by by keeping him around. And, and you know, we, we talked to uh, Shaq Barrett a little bit on uh, Wednesday. He had a uh, a Zoom call with the Tampa Bay media and some others. And no big headlines there except except this. Um, there was a lot of hand-wringing, you know, I think among Bucks fans and others, uh, whether or not they could get Shaq Barrett because he, he was viewed as the key piece, right? You had the three main guys you wanted back, and, and that was obviously Chris Godwin, who they franchised, and then Levante David, who signed a very team-friendly deal, you know, to, uh, twenty-five million over two years with, uh, uh, you know, a low cap number and a bunch of voidable years to make it easier for them. Uh, but but Barrett was the Barrett was the, the guy, right? The edge rusher, uh, Jason Pierre-Paul's getting up there. You, you might want to make sure you had this guy because he's had two sensational years. And what was interesting in talking to Shaq was because we were all trying to figure out, you know, would they would they franchise Godwin? Would they franchise Barrett? And I think we we had that figured out. I think we were right. We said it. We wrote it a bunch of times that it was going to be Godwin. Um, but and and really, as much as anything, um, Shaq understood from the beginning he wouldn't be franchised. Now he probably preferred it that way. But Jason Light made it clear to him and Drew Rosenhaus, uh, you know, when the season was was over or maybe even before that, hey, we're not going to we're gonna, we're looking for a long term deal with you. You know, we're not we're not talking about franchising you. We want a long term deal. And that's that's our goal. That's where we're headed. And Shaq said that you know it, it, he was so focused on Tampa, Tampa, Tampa that he he really didn't entertain any offers. I mean, legally he couldn't anyway. Um, you know, until noon of the day they signed him. But we know we know that conversations take place. But he said you know he he just he he re, he had been on a Super Bowl team before in Denver when they won Super Bowl Fifty, and Peyton Manning retired, and that that was the biggest thing, right? You lose that. Hall of Fame quarterback who whose skill set at that point was was diminished and um you know he he knew he didn't have anything in the tank so he he retired 
But quarterback aside, um, you know, a bunch of guys went to other teams. I mean, I think they lost like 13 free agents. And um, as Shaq said, he goes, you know, you win a Super Bowl and everybody wants to get paid and guys leave. And, you know, they went nine and seven the next year. And Shaq Barrett had never played in another playoff game since Super Bowl 50 until this year. So he knows how hard it is to keep a team together. And that's that's the thing that's remarkable is is that usually when you win a Super Bowl, um, you, you lose such such a big part of the nucleus of that Super Bowl team because guys are getting paid and they are getting offers and and uh, you know people uh, you know want those players uh, from you and you know all these guys to a man have decided it's better here and so whatever they experienced last year um, you know winning is great right I mean there's nothing like winning and winning a Super Bowl in the NFL but the way they did it and the closeness that this team had. Um, with the coaching staff, and especially, I will say this too, especially veteran players. I mean, you're talking about Shaq Barrett and Levante David, um, Ryan, so whoever it is. I mean, the one thing I think is great about B.A. is, you know, you don't want to practice on Wednesday or you don't feel great on Thursday and it's mid, mid middle of the season. He's going to give you those days off. I mean, he's going to do everything he can to get you to Sunday as long as you'll go 110% of what you got on Sunday. And I think, you know, these are, these are veteran players. Even Brady was taking Wednesdays off towards the end of the season. Cause now we know his knee was bothering him. But, you know, I, I think that they are all appreciative of the way BA runs uh, practice, the way uh, he, he makes sure his guys are as fresh as they can be on Sunday. And, and where else are you going to get that? You know what I mean? Like you could go someplace else, Urban Meyer, I don't, and I've never played for Urban Meyer. I don't, I'm, obviously, I don't know anybody that has personally. But you could go somewhere where there's a hard-ass coach that just says, "Hey, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna be in pads and we're gonna hit every day in training camp." And you know, do you really want to do that if you're a veteran player? If you're Rob Gronkowski, right? You know, you can make it through twenty-something games in Tampa Bay because you just did it. So I think a lot of it has to do with the the overall experience that these guys had playing for BA. All right, Steve, so while I was waiting for the news to break on the free agency front, um, the Rays were on TV. They were playing the Pirates, I guess, at uh, in Bradenton. And there's a lot of former Pirates on this team. In fact, Tyler Glass now was on the mound for the Rays. And Austin Meadows uh, went deep again. This fourth time this spring. I don't know how many at-bats he's had. Uh, but, man, he turned on an inside fastball. The count was in his favor. I'll give him that. And th- there was some definitely some wind blowing out. But he lined one out of there. And his bat looks quick this year, especially on, you know, you, you see him turn on a, on a, on a, on a fastball about 94 inside and him get the, get the barrel out on it and keep it fair. It looked really impressive this spring. Well, I mean, you know, that's what we've been expecting this off season. I mean, you know, he didn't have last year. He what gets COVID to start as they do right. go through the restart. Then he gets hurt as well. He doesn't have a very good season. He didn't really like his workout in the offseason. You know, felt he was it wasn't as quick heavy, to the ball. Right? Yeah, too heavy. Yeah. The swing wasn't as quick to the ball. He couldn't get you know what he needed to. Completely changed everything he did this offseason. And you know, they've been saying that you know he was going to get back to his old self, where he went what thirty three, thirty four home runs back in two thousand nineteen, and he's showing it so far in the spring, which is for Rays fans, it's still remarkable that this team got to the World Series and took the Dodgers to six games with a lineup that barely hit outside Randy Arozarena. Right. 
I mean, right. your big hitters did not show up in the postseason for the most part. No. And yet no. they took the Dodgers to six games, had a good shot to win game six, mm-hmm. particularly through the first six innings with Blake Snell on the mound, which then you would have gone to a game seven, which is a crapshoot. I mean, you know, exactly. and they did it without a lineup that's hitting. If Meadows can get back to a better form, Brendan Lau can be better. If Sutsugo can give you anything. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. and, and go through the hitters, and, and Randy Rosarina, you know, he's not going to do what he did in the playoffs all season. Right. But you expect him to be a good hitter. And, you know, and then you start going through the lineup going, wow, if, if they can get more hitting, I mean, we know their pitching may not be quite as strong, particularly the starting pitching when you lose guys like Charlie Morton and you lose Blake Snell. But the sum of their arms, you still expect to be very good. And if you yeah, can get more hitting with... than what you got last year, look out for this team. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 Austin Meadows is the biggest guy that needs to be better this year. And this spring, he's showing it. Yeah, he really is. He looks he looks great. And I and, and I know it's a long season. And and you say, well, you know, it's spring training, and guys are working on stuff, and maybe you know, maybe maybe they're not throwing out pitches when they should be, and 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 whatnot. It doesn't matter because hitting is all about rhythm. It's all about confidence and. You know, the hardest thing to do is to time up uh, a good fastball and, and, and especially one that's in on your hands. And if you have a quick bat and you're seeing the ball that well, the way Austin is, that's going to carry over, you know, at least in the first part of the season. I'm not saying the guy's going to bat 400 and be Ted Williams, but he did it. He hit 33 home runs, you know, two years ago. And, and, and I think, you know, he looks like that guy again. And, um, you know, if Willie Adamas comes around, he was another one that didn't hit all that well. You had, um, you know, Yandy Diaz was was injured a lot, and and um, you know he had his struggles. I mean, they all kind of took turns, right? Um, but it could be a it could be a good offensive team, and that that bat, a left handed bat like that for Meadows is is really you know to see it uh, come back to life is really a bonus. Uh, I, I think uh, you know for the Rays. The other thing is that Tyler Glass now, and this is not a surprise. I mean, he's you know sort of by default, uh, right, the best pitcher or the only pitcher left on their staff that would be the starter. Um, but he's still a young guy, and to be named the opening day starter is a big deal in the major leagues, as, as everyone knows. And that game will be against uh, against the Marlins in Miami. But um, you know he he's going to get the ball the first time out, and it also means that. He'll be going against a lot of aces, against you know the aces of other staffs too, as as, as the rotations usually pan out. So it, it was a big deal, and I'm glad that he kind of acted like it, it meant that to him. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'll say this against the Pirates, and again the wind was blowing all over the place. Um, he had some really good innings, and then he still the one thing about I'll say about Glass now is he's still prone to the home run ball. He's still a guy that can give up some home runs. Yeah, he can. You know, and, you know, part of it is the harder you throw it, the harder they can hit it. Um, sure. But, I mean, let's not forget how young he still is. And mm-hmm. he's still learning how to pitch. I mean, you know, I mean, he's a good right. pitcher and, and he does fine. And he's added a pitch. You know, yeah. I, I mean, the, the one thing I worry is not the right word for this, but I remember back to when Chris Archer kind of got thrust into that ace position. That's right. And he struggled with it some. You know, and it's and I think a lot of that was mental more than it was physical and, and, you know, the ability to throw the ball in that. But it's the, you know, the pressure you put on yourself. I've got to win for the team. I've got to do that, you know, and and 
and you know, you, you, like I said, worry's not the right word with Glass now, but I'll be curious how he responds now that he's not the third of three big time starting pitchers. He's the ace. I mean, I don't think there's any question on the staff. He's considered the ace. And so how Mm -hmm. he responds to that, how he handles that, how when things don't go his way in a game or he doesn't have his best stuff, how he powers through. I mean, that's, that's what aces really do, you know, more so than when their stuff's rolling, but it's when I don't have my best stuff today, how am I battling and keeping my team in this game and, and still winning despite the fact that I don't have my best. And that's what Charlie Morton was really good at. Is Charlie Morton wouldn't have his best stuff, and he'd load the bases for two of the first three innings and get out of it with zero or one run. And right. it was incredible to watch him do that. Um, you know, and, and you wonder how – can Glass now take that step? And I, more of it's mental than anything. But can he continue to grow as a pitcher? And I think he can. But, but he's going to stumble too at, at times. And so you just got to be prepared for that and realize still how young he is as a pitcher. He really is. His future is so bright, though, because he has such great stuff and a great makeup, and 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 mm-hmm. he works harder, I, from what I understand, than almost anybody on the staff. Like this guy, is an animal in the weight room and everything else. Um, so you know, it will be it will it'll be just that. How much self-imposed pressure? You know, can he just stick with the process and not not try to think like he's got to do anything different? Because his stuff will certainly play, uh, no matter when he's pitching. You know, and, and against whom. But um, I do think that there's. You know, th- th- there's certain uh, level of responsibility. You want you want that ace to be a guy that can go deep, can, that can save your bullpen. You know, the old adage, uh, you're only, you know, as good as tomorrow's starting pitcher. Well, you know, if you lose two or three in a row and that ace comes back around, you want him to stop that losing streak. You want him to be the guy that goes out there and gives you a really good chance to win um, every time out. So, you know, he'll have to try to become consistent. But I do. I think it's mental. Um, there's no question he's a terrific pitcher. So it was interesting listening. They had the, um, it was on ESPN and they had the Pirates uh, broadcasting crew. <laughs> Half the Rays, of course, they're very familiar with and they're all doing thank you uh, for the, for the uh, Tampa Bay Rays that used to be former Pirates, including Meadows and Glass now. So it was kind of fun watching, uh, watching them watch their former farmhands uh, and Major League players uh, playing for the Rays now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Uh Wanted to talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning. I watched this game, Steve, the other night. Um, they were playing in Dallas, and it was a terrific game. I thought the Lightning played extraordinarily well. I thought they were just uh, good from start to almost finish. Uh, and mm-hmm. they had a 3-1 lead. Uh, and lo and behold, and you got to give Dallas, because they, they did not stop shooting the puck. They, they took the man advantage. They stuffed two in there in the last three minutes, and I thought, "Uh-oh, <laughs> this is not this is not usually what you're uh, what you see out of the Lightning. They're they're pretty good closers, you know. Mm-hmm. They they've got they got Mario and a Rivera behind between the pipes there, and and he doesn't let uh, uh, too many two goal leads go away in the final three minutes. But I'll tell you, um, it was an exciting overtime. Uh, both goaltenders made great stops. Then they go to a shootout." And, you know, the Lightning end up winning that. 
Um, but, you know, I guess the night will be remembered mostly for Victor Hedman getting his 500th points. Now, put that in perspective because this is a defenseman, okay, mm-hmm. uh, with 500 points at this point in his career. What, what does this milestone mean for him? Well, and he's still fairly young in his career, too. He I mean, is. He's 30 years old, but, yeah, you know, he's just starting to play his best hockey of his career now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to be at 500 points and, and to make that 500 point, the perfect pass on the power play to Stamkos. Yeah. Which is, you know, how many times have we seen that? Uh, Beautiful. You know, and, and that, those one timers from those circles only work if the pass is perfect. You know, if the, the pass is, right. you know, too far in front of you or in your skates, it doesn't work. So um, Hedman does that so well to Stamkos and to Kucherov on the other side. Um, but, you know, I think he's the first lightning defenseman to reach 500 career points. I think he's only the fifth Lightning player, if I recall. I'm trying to do it off the top of my head, mm. but um, it's it's incredible, you know, in, to what many think is the best defenseman in hockey at this point. Um, it's almost becoming not an argument at this point of how well Victor Hedman can control a game on both sides of the ice. You know, not just you know a lot of times the, the you know the Norris Trophy for the best defenseman will go to someone who scores the most offensive points. It does, but if you're going to talk the most complete defenseman in hockey, Victor Hedman's right up at the top of the list, if not the top. Um, you know, which is one of the reasons the Lightning have such success. Arguably mm-hmm. the best goalie in the world, maybe the best defenseman in the world, right. and a whole host of forwards that can do fun stuff from Braden Point to Steven Stamkos' shot still to Nikita Kucherov when he's healthy to Anthony Sorelli to you know, you start looking at that forward line and then Ryan McDonough on the back end too and to see the progress Sergachev and Chernak have made in the last year or two. Chernak is playing very well right now. Um, yeah. And that, it kind of gets overlooked on this team because of Hedman and McDonough. But just seeing how well Chernak's games progressed throughout this season, even. I think the last week or two, he's been playing some phenomenal hockey. Um, and, but but with, with Victor Hedman getting his 500 point, I mean, you know, how quick he's done it in his career and, and – and just how consistent he is has been incredible. But I, I mean, the other thing I take away from the game is they went to a shootout, and who's the first guy they sent over the board for the shootout? Oh, my goodness. I know. That was a stunner, man. They sent Ross Colton in, what, his third NHL game? Four, fourth, fourth game. Fourth game? Okay, yeah. 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 Fourth NHL game. They sent him, and, and Victor Hedman, after the game, said, Cal Foote on the bench, you know, tapped him on the shoulder or arm and said, hey, and told him exactly what Colton was going to do. And that's exactly what Colton did. Came down with speed. And just put it right, right into the net. And he goes, he goes, Calfoot, you know, seen it at, at AHL last year. He goes, he told me exactly what he was going to do, and he did it. Um, but mm-hmm. for Cooper to put that kid out there first in the shootout in his fourth game, and and by the way, Ross Colton looks really good on that fourth line. He's a uh, good player. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I he had an assist in that game too. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's getting more playing time than Alex Barry Boulay because I think they project mm-hmm. Ross Colton to be a third or fourth line center in this league. And so he's getting fourth-line minutes, which is what young guys do. Alex Barry-Boulay looks really good and played well the, the, what, two games he's been up, two or three. But he's projected to be more of a top six or top nine forward. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes when you play on the bot in that, that fourth line, you don't, it, it's just not as comfortable. It doesn't, it, it doesn't click as well right away. And it's not to say he, you know, he's not going to be back up here. He will be. But I, I think they really like Ross Colton on that fourth line. And they, that line plays differently when he's out there. Um, you know, he, Joseph, and Maroon together look really good on that fourth line. 
They asked Colton, they said, hey, um, how, are you, how are you on the shootout? And, of course, they know all these answers, right? But it's like, hey, man, how are you in the shootout? And he goes, well, I got some moves. Yeah. And they're like, you're up. Well, I can't imagine. I mean, it's almost as if, to me, it's almost as it's two things, right? It's like, one, uh, no one's seen this kid, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, the, 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 you know, it's the unknown against yep. their goaltender. But also, too, it's like, hey, don't let them think about it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you're, you'll just get them out there. Like, you're yep. going to use them. Get him out there. Put him in that spot. See how he reacts yeah. to it. And he buried it. Just well, buried it. And it's showing confidence in him. And even if he hadn't oh, made yeah. that shot, though, the fact they put him out there first in a game. And you know, look, if they had lost that game yesterday or Tuesday night, was that the end of the world? No. I mean, no, they know, got a point. You wanted to win right. that game, particularly the way you played that first period, which you dominated that first period um, and played yeah. well for most of the game. And and you know, really, what you gave up two six on five goals. One was a mistake by Chernak. The other was just right. kind of a fluke bounce and and that. I mean, you know. It happens. Uh, losing a point to Dallas doesn't hurt you. Dallas isn't going to catch mm. you in the standings by the end of the year. Um, right. So, you know, losing that point to, you know, giving them a point didn't hurt you. It hurt Chicago, but it, it doesn't hurt you. It was a you. calculated risk is what you're saying. Yeah, it was I mean, a calculated. It's, it's game 28 at the halfway mark. Mm. You got this young kid who's who's got some moves on the shootout, as he said. Why not throw him out there? Show him the confidence we have in him. Give him a shot. And, and, and you know, the fact he made it pays off even better. Yeah, let's see what he can do, and and he did. He buried it. It was it was phenomenal. So, uh, the Lightning uh, have another game at Dallas uh, tonight. No, they no, they're home, no, home against they play, Chicago uh, tonight. Home against Chicago tonight. Oh, they're home against. I'm sorry, they're home yep. against Chicago tonight. Yep. And then they play uh, Sa- Saturday, well? Saturday Saturday at four o'clock against Chicago. Then Sunday, Sunday at at four o'clock against Florida. Wow, and three then, in a row. Yeah. Well, this is the well, this is the middle of five games in seven days, from Monday to Sunday. They'll play days. five games. That's right. And the next week That's they're right. in Dallas, Tuesday and Thursday night. So they're back in Dallas next. Well, week. now let me ask you because I'm going to the Saturday 4 p.m. game. Would that be one that Vasilevsky would sit? You think because it's between he'll sit one of the two. Um, okay. I would guess Vazzy gets. I'm guessing he gets Thursday. I'm guessing game, he gets so. Thursday and Sunday, and they'll give McElhaney Saturday. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I, I think they'll Saturday give him one of the Chicago. I don't think they'll put him against Chicago twice. I think they'll put him against Florida. The Florida game could so he'll probably know, matter play. in the standings a little more as far as you know positioning. So I think he'll get Thursday. Yeah, yeah. So he'll play and, and, Friday night against Chicago. Well, no, it's Thursday night. I think he'll play Thursday and Sunday. Oh, it's Thursday and Sunday. That's yes. right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Thursday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Sunday okay. are the games. I think Vasilevsky will get Thursday and Sunday. McElhaney will get Saturday, I think. That makes sense. And then he gets the most rest in between that way. Right, so. especially because Saturday's an earlier start. It's a 4 o'clock start, so it's not a 7. Right. right. So it's a little shorter turnaround than two full game days or what they're used to. So, yeah, I've, I mean, I could be wrong, but if, if I was drawing it up, I'm giving Vazzy Thursday and Sunday. Well, I'm going to be there, so he, so the, the you know, McElhaney better be on point, man. <laughs> you better, better bring your big boy pads, because <laughs> um, I don't want to drop off. But uh, yeah, they've they've been look, they're they're playing great, and it's uh, it, it's really a war of attrition. If they can keep guys healthy and uh, manage to get through the season, they're they're going to have a good a good uh, a run in the postseason. We know that, and so looking forward to that. So we've got uh, more free agency uh, on tap. Um, you know, the rest of the week, obviously, and, and uh, in, into next week as well. I still think um, you'll see you'll see them create more cap space. They're probably going to renegotiate some contracts that we haven't heard about just yet uh, to do that. I think that you're going to see them um, 
you know, try to sign in Damakon Sue. Again, don't know. He's representing himself. Don't know how that process is going right now. Have no indication on that. I, I, I definitely think that they get a running back, whether it's Leonard Fournette comes back or maybe James White. Um, I could see them signing him. Uh, and then we'll see if there's any money left over for uh, Antonio Brown. And I, I still wouldn't discount that because I don't know what kind of a market that will be established. There's an awful lot of receivers mm-hmm. that have been on this market. Still some more left out there. And Antonio Brown's name has not come up in association with any other teams just yet. Doesn't mean it won't happen. But if, if unless he unless he establishes a, a big market, I think there's a really a good chance that he's back here. So a lot more uh, a lot more free agency. And, and then uh, tomorrow. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, have you seen say? have you seen some of the college basketball news lately, including USF? They've got five players that have left the team since the end of the season, or yeah, a couple of the players that opted out, out this yeah. season and are transferring. But now, David Collins is transferring, and, um, and and they're not quite as bad as my alma mater, Cincinnati, which apparently the whole team is leaving. Uh, apparently, there's a huge disconnect between the players and the coach there. Um, yeah, that's not that's never a good. Yeah, thing. they've already got five players announced they're transferring, and all the reports are it ain't done yet in Cincinnati. So. Um, that's ugly up there, but you know, this, the transfer portal is changing things in, in, in basketball, I think even more than football. And it's been crazy in football, but, um, you know, well, and it doesn't mean that, you know, Brian Gregory won't be able to get some transfers back in the other way mm -hmm. of kids leaving and stuff. So, you know, but it's just, it's interesting to see the turnover now that now that the transfer portal is a couple years old, um, you know, it's being used a lot more by players and, and they're exercising their power that they have and, and yeah. you know, their their ability to choose, hey, if this isn't working for me for whatever reason, to go somewhere yeah. else. So Well, Steve, I'll just say this that they're conditioned to do that from an early age, and I'll tell you how. Um, you know, nowadays and I think it's unfortunate, so many of these kids and you know this have to choose. And some of them are choosing at ten years old, you know, they're gonna play uh club baseball or travel baseball or club soccer or uh, travel basketball and you know when things don't work out with a certain team or a certain coach they go to another travel team or they go to another coach and this is this has become you know sort of the way uh that that they're used to doing business and now that college is doing business this way uh, these kids are not going to sit there and you know uh waste a year or what they perceive as a wasted year by not being a starter or not not getting as many minutes as they think they deserve, they're going to find another team that'll that'll have them and that will give them an opportunity. It's it's not about the education. I've always said this, like you know, um, it, I think it's important that these guys get their education and value that, and hopefully they do. Um, but I I I, ask, I think that you know, uh, first and foremost, they're looking at where they can play, and um, you know, now that they've made it made it available to them to go into a portal like that and and without penalty and. Part of me feels like they should be able to because a lot mm-hmm. of times you're recruited by a coach, you sign there, and then all of a sudden the coach gets a job and he's able to leave, and then you know another coach comes in there and he may cut you because he didn't recruit you. So how is that fair to the athlete that the athlete can't do the same thing? So I, I, I'm all for you know the fairness part of it, but I also think that they're conditioned at an early age to um, you know to 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 find a better situation to bow out to not stick it out in some instances, and I'm not saying every instance is different, right? But um, that, that unfortunately, and I don't think it's necessarily a good thing, but unfortunately that's just become part of part of college sports and part of youth sports now that have just kind of transferred them their way up, up the ladder. 
All right, so uh, be sure you're uh, on the podcast uh, listening tomorrow. We'll have Tom Jones, my former radio partner, joins me again with a with a really, I thought, uh, an interesting conversation uh, that we will have about broadcasting and about uh, some of the broadcasters back in the day, some of the new ones now who are the the ones that are emerging as guys like Al Michaels and, and others start to get up there in the year. So Tom Jones used to uh, write media for the Tampa Bay Times before he became a columnist. He knows all these guys, Jim Nance and others. He spent... Uh, time with them and uh, just a real interesting conversation that we're going to have about uh, about sports broadcasting uh, for all of you who listen to sports like sports or you wouldn't be listening to sports day tampa bay so uh enjoy uh enjoy that tomorrow on the podcast on friday with tom jones for steve versnick i'm rick stroud of the tampa bay times have a great day everybody 